Welcome back, everyone, to the End Credits Podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Today, we are discussing and reviewing the 1991 iconic film, Boys in the Hood. I am joined once again by my good friend, Phoenix Clouded. Phoenix, welcome back, man. Hey, man. Thanks for having me, man. I'm I'm mad I missed out on the last few episodes because you talked about one of my favorite movies of all time. But uh, yeah, man, it's good to be back and, you know, to discuss this particular movie. I'm really excited. That's okay. Maybe maybe we'll do a re-whiplash discussion <laughs> where we have Phoenix back. Um, nonetheless, however you listen to this, if you would please go ahead and check out our other episodes as well as hop on over to TikTok. Give us a follow at End Credits Pod. You get to see my beautiful face on your phone screen every day. Then you can hop over here and listen to us discuss different different movies, different news going on, things like that. But Enough of that. Let's just dive into it. Boys in the Hood, 1991, directed by John Singleton, starring Cuba Gooding Jr., Ice Cube, Lawrence Fishburne, among many others. But those are the headliners. Phoenix, this was both of our first times watching Boys in the Hood. How crazy is that? It's it's really crazy. I mean, like Boys in the Hood is a, is a movie I grew up on. But it's it, it's a movie that I saw when I had no understanding of movies. So, you know what I'm saying? It's just one of those movies that's always been around um, and was always treated as a classic. So to finally, you know what I'm saying, have some years and some understanding of movies behind me, to see this movie with fresh new eyes was a treat. It was definitely a treat. So I'm very excited to to finally dive into this celebrated film. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more when it was a couple of weeks ago when I had texted you asking, hey, what would you think of doing Boys in the Hood? And you were like, yeah, I'm all over that. Let's do it. And I had never seen it at that point either. But when I was looking through and trying to plan out a couple of weeks of what we were going to discuss, I wanted to do something new. You know, it's, it's great talking Whiplash, it's great talking Jaws and Soul and all everything else. But I wanted to talk about something new that, you know, just go in fresh experience and come off rip talking about it. And this one just really stood out to me and was like, yeah, I, I, I just feel like I haven't seen it, but I feel like this is going to be one that we can talk quite a bit about. And that's exactly what we're going to do here today. So boys in the hood, I think let's just give a very high level non-spoiler thoughts real quick here before we dive into specifics. And what would those be for you, Phoenix? Your non-spoiler thoughts. Uh, okay. I'm trying to see if I can say this without it sounding spoilery. Um, mm-hmm. Boys in the Hood is a movie that is definitely of its time. I'll, I'll put it like that. Uh, there are still some some key moments that are relevant that are still relevant today, but I would think in in terms of its execution, in terms of its style, its delivery, it is very much of that '90s ilk, and this is early '90s, so it's technically really an '80s movie because <laughs> you know some decades last longer than they're supposed to. So like, it really feels more like that time period. Uh, just time capsule kind of movie uh and it works in that context uh in today's context though some some instances will seem jarring i think is the word i would i would put uh so other than that like just without getting into too many details that's sort of my overall impression is that there were some moments where it was like this this definitely works in a 1988 1999 context but in 2022 i've it, it sucks because it's like this is my first time seeing this iconic film really like all the way through uh but it it just doesn't have that same impact now that i feel like it had been i wouldn't call boys in the hood a hangout movie i would not call it a hangout movie but for 
the first hour it kind of is it's yeah. more of a it's more of a peek inside of these characters lives and there's not really a whole heck of a lot going on like it's sure they set the stage for things they lay the groundwork and there's small pieces that lead to the third act and the big kind of peak that happens. But I found myself saying frequently throughout the first hour, wow, I love where this story is. And I couldn't even really tell you what it is. Like, it's really just here's three, four characters and just kind of what they're doing on a day to day. We're not following a specific storyline. Like, yeah, I mean, sure, we follow um, – is it Ricky? Ricky's the football player, right? Yes. We're following Ricky uh, and his storyline of, of potential recruitment. You know, we're following Trey and his kind of adjustment to becoming a high schooler, becoming – you know, just trying to find his way. And sure, you, there's many plot lines throughout the way, but we're not focused and hyper-focused on one of them. and. To me, that's where I don't think it's a hangout movie, but it's more of just that peek behind that curtain, peek behind someone's life and just viewing a small portion of what they're doing on a day to day. And I love that because they captured it so well of like, it's kind of comforting in a way. But then you hit the third act (laughs) and we're not going to talk about that quite yet. Well, that's interesting. Uh, when you that is that is an interesting perspective, though. It very much is a hangout movie, and and I hadn't considered that. Um, you know, in in the in the vein of like a Stand by Me, you know what I'm saying? It's sort of sort of like that, where it's just here's a collection of characters, and we're gonna see what their life is like as they grow up in this particular situation. And yeah, yeah. And like, and that that in itself is actually pretty cool. Um, but I'll be honest, those aren't my favorite kind of movies. <laughs> like, like those those really aren't my favorite kind of movies. I I really prefer films that sort of have a plot, have an idea of where they're going, you know. And they really like, you know either dive into characters or there's a, a conflict or something that has to be solved. Those are more so like my ideas. A hangout movie to me feels like a collection of random scenes. And that's sort of the vibe I got from this movie is that, yeah, things happen, but why they happen is, is not really explored. Um, the way in which they happen is kind of, thrown together in a, in a way and no offense to this movie and, and part of part of it is me having grown up with the film and and now I've seen it I've seen it remade multiple times I've seen it parodied I've seen it you know as a comedy and as like so many iterations and and things that have been in this movie that have been taken and, and done in other films that um it kind of it kind of tainted my uh experience with this film because I was like not necessarily thinking about those other films or things but just like you know why would you pull from this movie if nothing's really happening that was that was sort of my my take from it well and it's even like if you were to pause it in the after an hour and someone were to say walk in and be like hey you're watching boys in the hood cool like what's happened so far You'd be like, um, not, not, <laughs> not <a> really <laughs> anything, but I think there's a beauty and a fascination almost into that. Let's take a micro look at what each character is doing at this point in time on this day. Mm-hmm. And I think there was kind of a beauty towards it. I think it's very easy for most movies who don't really have a whole lot going on to sit there and say, what are we building towards? What am I watching? I've kind of wasted 45 minutes and nothing's happened yet. And I think it takes a certain type of writing style and a certain type of, obviously your scenes still have to be meaningful in some capacity. And I think Boys in the Hood pulled that off. I do. Let's go ahead and let's go ahead and talk spoilers. Let's just get into it, right? I mean, the people are here for a reason. 
Um, now, I'm glad that it exists. Mm-hmm. I don't have any problems with it. I don't have any problems with it. I'm glad it exists. But serious question. Does the first part where they are younger before the time jump, mm-hmm. does that part need to exist? Does that part really need to be in this movie? I would say no, not really. I don't either. Like, I'm glad it exists. Right. It's, I like when movies do time jumps. I just, I do. That personally fascinates me. Um, But really, you could have started this movie off at that cookout and nothing would have been lost like what happens in the first it's not even the first act what happens in the first kind of sequences when they're younger that ultimately has a lasting impact on the film i will say i will say it's it's there's two things it's him getting into the fight in the the classroom and ultimately that being the reason why he's sent to live with his father. And, True. And the second thing is we have to meet Doughboy as a as a kid and see exactly what is the reason that he ended up in, in uh prison. And that in itself is a valuable lesson that uh Trey learns from his father about what not to do, right? So in a sense, I would say that's really it. That's really the only reason why you have that beginning. But I do agree. Like, much of it is a little bit too long. Some of it is unnecessary. But I think that's the main cusp of it is that we're, we're getting to that point where, where we get to see what Trey sees, which is this is someone who I, whom I believe to be a friend, did something wrong, but he's still a friend of mine, right? And just shows that bond, that bond uh, between, you know, friends that you can do something wrong, but because we're in this together, we're, we're always going to be friends. So Doughboy gets arrested for what I assume is shoplifting. Yeah. Right. Because he says, let's go to the store. You don't have any money. It's like, I'm going anyway. And then the next scene is him getting arrested. He got seven years for shoplifting as a kid. (laughs) Are are we, are are we being for real? Yeah. As a kid. Yeah. He got seven years. Yeah. There's no way. There's no way. There's no (laughs) way. Like not even like what petty is, is petty shoplifting, right? My guess is what really happened is he probably got sent away for six months. And then he extended his sentence, right? While he was Maybe. there. And and that and then when he finally got out, he did something else and got sent back. That that's that's the logical train that I went on. Cause petty shoplifting, seven years. Now, granted, granted, um, this was in this I know the movie takes it was done in the 90s, but I think it takes place in the 80s. I'm not 100% sure. But I know that the uh, criminal justice system was extra harsh back then for young black men. And um, so is it possible that that happened? Maybe. It would be egregious if it did, but maybe. So I guess that's the idea. It's just maybe going off of the idea that the the system is so screwed up that a 10-year-old who committed petty lars uh, petty theft gets 7 years in prison. I I think yeah, no, that's the I'm, idea, but yeah. I'm sorry, no. There's, <laughs> there's no way for it to be a child. No. Like they really? yeah, no, like <laughs> for a child to to shoplift at most they'd give you like a couple days to learn your lesson because they know that it's so so vital vital for the child to like learn their mistakes and they don't need to be punished like an adult where it's hey you stole something as a 25 year old you know that's not okay and while the child still may know obviously 
they don't have the decision-making skills that an adult has. So we've spent too much time on this, but I, I found that right off the bat to be immediately unbelievable. Like, are you right. kidding me? Yeah. Um, let's talk Lawrence Fishburne and his role here as Jason Stiles. Um, I feel like immediate, this immediately struck me when I finished as one of the better written father characters I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. Easy. I've, I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. And he does it with not a ton of screen time. He's listed as the main actor here on letterbox. Um, we know that Letterbox is never really reliable when it comes to that stuff. Um, and of course, Lawrence Fishburne is one of the most iconic actors living, but this was still early. This was mm-hmm. still early for him. Doesn't mean he's, he wasn't any less talented. Um, I think immediately this is just one of the best fatherly figures put to film I've ever seen. And that's really the the takeaway that I came from with this movie is in pieces, there are some fantastic pieces. Lawrence Fishburne's performance is iconic, okay? Absolutely iconic. Every scene he has is some of the best work any actor's done. Um, Angela Bassett has a great scene, great scene in this movie. Um... Doughboy, the final scene. He, he, I mean, Ice Cube brings the heat in that final scene. It's amazing. It's just that everything else around it is just so, it, it, it just doesn't connect. It doesn't connect. And again, it's, it, it, it's piecemeal storytelling, which can work. I'm not saying that it can't work. And again, if I had seen this in the 90s, I would have loved this. Like because of it, it because of its style, right? That style of taking this very unique story and looking at these characters in just random moments in, in, in their life through this period and being in this situation. That is cool. Just as for as far as plot goes, it's just not something I vibed with. But back to Lawrence Fishburne, like he has so many great scenes. Like, like you talk about just a well-written character, right? He's a fabulous, well-written character. He he just, you know, I love that when uh, Trey's a kid, right? They're out, out fishing or they're at the lake or whatever. Just randomly, just randomly and importantly, he asks him, what do you know about sex? And I'm just like, that is interesting, like, because the kid's, what, 10, 11, you know what I'm saying? He's he's barely, he, he's not old enough, right? <laughs> he's not old enough. But having that conversation at that early of a stage, I thought was just really just, talk about just the levels of writing a father and having to have that conversation. And then he has a couple other conversations throughout the film that are just as important and poignant and and gets not only Trey to think, but like the community to think and gets you to think as as an as an audience member. So like if, if I give John Singleton anything, it's just that he wrote Jason Styles as an, an incredible character who had so much knowledge and understanding of not just how to be a man, but how to learn how to be a man. You know what I'm saying? Like he 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 imparted so much wisdom to his son, and I thought that was just brilliant. Yeah, he's got so much great dialogue here too. One thing that really jumped out to me about this film is the dialogue is terrific. It really is. Sure, they give Fishburne a lot of the great lines. He probably gets <laughs> he probably gets eighty percent of the great yeah. lines, but. He just in general, I think these movies like pre I don't want to put a specific timeline on it, but these older movies, maybe like pre 2000 and especially like pre 80s, just the dialogue was so much more intentional. How many movies you see these days that have released recently 
that you're like, wow, the dialogue was just tremendous. Even mm-hmm. movies you love, you absolutely love, even Best Picture winners. How many times do you find yourself saying, yep, the script itself, the physical words they're saying were right. great. But I feel like almost every time I watch a movie pre 80s and then in that 80s to 2000 window, I feel myself saying that a lot. And Boys in the Hood is no different. And so, th- that's actually one issue where we differ. Um, really? Yeah. Like we we agree that uh, Laura Swishburne's gotten got 80% of, of the best dialogue in this movie. I would say uh, uh, Angela Bassett got the other 10 and Ice Cube got the last 10. <laughs> um, I, I thought the dialogue in this was terrible. Like genuinely terrible. Uh, wow. Yeah. Like outside of, outside of Lawrence Fishburne, outside of the one scene that Angela Bassett has and the one scene that Ice Cube has, I genuinely thought the dialogue here was really awful. Like really, really awful. Probably not. Yeah, like like probably not for uh you know nineteen ninety one standards. But like, I'm just like as I was watching it, I'm just like okay. Like, I I on more than one occasion, I I, I had the thought that no one talks like that. Right, <laughs> right, right. On more than one occasion, that was just all I was thinking is no one talks like that. <laughs> right. When he comes into uh. Brandy, I think her name is Brandy, Nia Long's character. When he comes into her house and he's throwing fists because he's mad or, you know, at something that happened. And, you know, she finally calms him down and he's crying. And he says to her, I never thought I'd cry in front of a female. What? Who says what? Who says that? Like, like no one says that. It's just so weird. It's just so weirdly stated. And it was just, it was such a random thing to say at that moment in time with what was going on. I was just like, okay, the mother, uh, uh, tr- uh, not Trace, uh, Doughboy's mother cussing him out when he was like a kid. Like, I'm like, uh, just, I'm like, I get it, but I, I, more than one occasion, I was just like, I just, I don't believe this dialogue, but that's just me. I don't know. I guess we'll agree to disagree on that one. Let's kind of wrap up talking performance wise. Um, Cuba Gooding Jr. as Trey Styles. What are your thoughts, Phoenix? I am really glad that Cuba Gooding Jr. got to have this role. Um, I'm. I could be wrong, but I think it's not his debut. But I'm. It's early in his career, and um. He brings a real uh, understanding to it, right? He's he's a very poised actor, and I think after watching this, you're like, you 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 could see him doing other things, right? It was one of those roles where you're like, that guy's good, right? Right? It just it comes out at you, and you're like, yo, that guy's pretty good. I want to see him in other stuff, and that's really the takeaway I came I came out of this movie with is that. He he didn't have great lines. He didn't have great dialogue, but he had some great moments. Uh, and I think that showcased his his level of skill as an actor. The the moment I, I, I think of uh, more than anything, and this was the moment that I remember throughout my childhood, is when they they get pulled over by the, the, the black cop and he puts a gun to his throat. You know what I'm saying? And he's telling them, like, you know, you know, I really hate y'all. <laughs> like, like, and you see, like, you know, Trey starts crying a little bit. Like, that to me is one of those moments where it's like that transcended the movie for for Cuba Gooding Jr. I think that's the that's the scene that really let people know, like, this guy's good. This guy can act. We should put him in more stuff. Um, and that's just a, it's a great moment. It, well, maybe not great is the word, but like in terms of acting, I think it's a great moment. Um, and it's just haunting. Because, like, you know, to, to picture being in that situation, that's insane. Despite Cuba Gooding Jr. being probably the main person in this movie, the lead, mm-hmm. and Lawrence Fishburne, I think Ice Cube is the best 
performance in this movie and and maybe be- not best performance but is the standout mm-hmm. is the most memorable thing come three months from now who i'm gonna remember in this movie is gonna be ice cube and that's really i'm surprising myself saying that right mm-hmm. because he's he's not known mostly as an actor that's not his necessarily forte but you've got him going against Fishburne. You've got him going against, of course, Angela Bassett and Regina King in smaller roles and Cuba Gooding Jr., who are all wildly successful actors. Um, I was really, really impressed with what Ice Cube did in this movie. Almost subtly, right? Like he doesn't he doesn't showcase a whole lot of range. He's pretty static throughout. But I think what he does with that static role, it really impressed me. I am actually inclined to agree. Um, yeah, because and I think it was it, it's also the performance that that made a lot of people take notice of Ice Cube. Again, sure. I think it's mainly he masters that stoicism right throughout the entire movie. And then finally, at the end, he has this sort of breaking point realization moment where he's like, I don't have a brother. I don't, I don't even have a mother. And then he's like, and, you know, I killed somebody and now I'm sure they're going to kill me. And he sort of embraces that this was his life, that his life was chaos. It was it was chaos. It was murder. It was violence. And he understood that. And he he accepted that, that it's it's going to end the same way because that's just the life I lived. And so I think I 100% agree with you. I think when you really come away from this movie, it is Ice Cube's performance that really uh, you take away from it because because of just that the way that it's done. It's like a ticking time bomb, but it doesn't like blow up. It like softly goes out and it's like you built it all up and then finally we get the explosion, but the explosion is tender and it's it, and it's a side of this character that we've never seen. And I I just thought, uh, like, in terms of... That's impressive for someone who's not known to be an actor. I think that's insane. You brought up something a couple moments ago that I want to revisit. And honestly, when I was watching this, was one of the things that I wrote down as a talking point that I really, really wanted to discuss with you. And that is the character of the black cop and how differently he treats everyone we see in this movie um, on a couple of different occasions. So I think from a couple different levels, obviously that character is very intentionally written, mm-hmm. obviously, but there's so much depth in just the couple minutes that he has on screen from the standpoint of um, you see all the people in this movie, all the characters in the, this movie, they see that sense of community and connectivity based on them all, you know, living in the same environment, being black, growing up in the same type of environment. Right. And you would think that the black cop would at least be sympathetic or understanding. Yes, treat, you know, <laughs> treat them better than how he does but he treats them like they are severely severely less than him simply because he has a status that they do not and obviously that was such well written such intentionally written um to the point where you know he's talking down to um fishburne's character when after the break-in and he's like oh calm down fella like you know we didn't ask you that question. He's talking down to Trey when he's a little kid. And it's immediately right off the bat when you see his character, like the white cop is really the one who's like the friendly one and trying to kind of actually do his job. And it's the black cop who's really aggressive and almost like showboaty might not be the right word, but almost like, Hey man, like I know what it's like to be you but I'm not you anymore. I have this elite status now and I'm not the 
for lack of a better word, like low status that you are anymore. Am I completely wrong to think that? Oh no. Uh, but this, <laughs> it, uh, it, uh, spawns me to ask this question. <laughs> I probably know the answer, but are you familiar with the song, uh, straight out of Compton? But, oh, oh, I'm yeah. sorry. I'm sorry. Not straight out of Compton. Uh, fuck the police. <laughs> oh yeah. Okay. Uh, there's a particular line that Ice Cube states in that in that song about how, you know, he's being hassled by police, uh, particularly a black police officer. And, you know, the black police officer is overly aggressive and slamming him up against the wall and stuff like that. And he finishes the bar by saying, you know, black police showing out for the white one. And basically what he's what he's hinting at is that the the black police officer's hatred is is a combination of a lot of things it's it's what you said yeah having that elevated status and not seeing them as equals but it's also they know that they got accepted into a club that that the other ones wouldn't and and in order to keep that status they got to prove that they belong right and so like that that i don't feel like that gets further explored with this character i wish it did we only see him twice. I think he's got like a total of like four minutes of screen time. But yeah, and that's what I mean by like, it's just disconnected in instances because I'm like, imagine if we had gotten 10, 12 minutes with that character, right? And gotten to dive into what his hatred was. If it was real, if it was imagined, if it was projection, right? You know what I'm saying? I think there's so many things about that character that would that would work. Um, and it would be very interesting, but like, yeah, there's moments like that where I'm like, I just wish we had gotten more. And because it's such an intentionally written character, it's no reason to hold back. You could, you could have, you could have gone further with that character because of, of what he, what he represents. This movie really reminds me of another movie that I feel like tackles similar, not exact, but similar social issues. And that is do the right thing. And especially with how it's written from a standpoint of both movies for the first two acts, take their sweet time. Yep. They're planting some seeds. They're laying some groundwork. And then the third act, all hell breaks loose. Yep. And it's just off the walls, crazy stuff. Now, Phoenix, we're not here to talk about do the right thing because you don't love that movie. No, I don't love that movie. <laughs> but the they remind me so much of each other. And I think Boys in the Hood is the much better film. But they would, remind me agree. so much of each other. They remind me so much of each other because of how they're paced. Right. And of course, tackling similar issues. Uh yeah, I definitely would agree. Um, I'm not sure. I think "Do the Right Thing" did come out first, though, if I'm uh, if I'm mistaken. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I agree. Uh, definitely in terms of style, in terms of execution, uh, they both sort of have that same similar structure. But uh, I, yeah, I I think the main reason that I like "Boys in the Hood" more is is for. Lawrence Fishburne and, and Ice Cube uh, because there's so much more meaning behind what those, those characters do, right? There's so there much is, more yeah. meaning behind what those characters do. Uh, I find it very interesting that uh, Jason Stiles' character was this very learned, very educated man who still lived in the hood, right? Like, <laughs> when it was like, and he knew what was going on in the world. He knew, he understood what was happening. He understood what was happening to his community. And yet he couldn't escape it, right? And that to me was such a genuine uh, concept of that character is you can be educated, you can be brilliant, you can be well-read, you could be strong, you know what I'm saying? You have a level head on your shoulders. And there's still so many obstacles keeping you from what you are, what you want to accomplish, right? And then you're, you're in a situation now where you're raising your son 
and you have to teach your son how to avoid those traps, right? How to For be sure. better than you. And uh, again, like easily the best written character in this. Uh, and like I said, it's just so much more you get from those characters. I think they're just so meaty, so meaty types of characters. And and what Ice Cube does, and we haven't talked about it, but the the third act, right, where uh, they're being chased by a rival gang uh, for whatever reason. They just no reason actually. <laughs> and uh, Ricky, his brother, gets shot. Yep. And uh, Ice Cube's acting in that moment, I think it's just it's top notch, man. Because like you see the the stoicism becomes so heavy when when he realizes his brother is dead as he takes him back to the house even as his mother attacks him like he just remains that level of it's just like glass shield like he he stonewall uh you know what I'm saying he's that devastated he's that heartbroken and then they go looking for the guys and you know they go they're looking for a while the dudes are saying they're cold they're hungry and he's nothing gives him nothing even when Trey says let me out he just stops the car lets him out keeps going he has nothing and then when he finally finds the guys and he kills all of them <laughs> and he goes up to the one guy and he just lays into him I, like I, I don't know I, I miscounted he probably shot him like five or six times and you see the tears start to finally form on his face and he holds there long enough and the boys his friends are yelling at him because they're like dude we just shot a bunch of people it's police are coming like get in the car so we can get away and he's just like does not care at all in that moment he would rather watch the life drain out of this guy than than escape and then he finally clicks out of it goes back to the stoicism and leaves only to have that moment later where he admits his his life to Trey. Com- the layers and complexities of these two characters, I think, are so rich. And I think it's part of the reason why this film has lasted in the zeitgeist for so long, for so many people, because of the that those layered characters. Um, yeah. And like, I'm glad. Yeah, go ahead. I'm glad that we got that type of payoff, that we yeah. got the revenge, that we got... Ice Cube getting off the porch and finally doing something. <laughs> um, it was it was tremendous. And it was like going we've we've spoke a ton about Nope and turning red, mm-hmm. feeling like they needed to have this giant spectacle third act that kind of left a sour taste in our mouths for the movie. This to me, even though you're a little cooler on this movie than I am, like this to me was how you do a third act with spectacle that didn't that was proper payoff for what you had built up right. like hey we've got this nice thing going for the first two acts we've got this nice thing going for the first 66 percent of our movie let's let's get let's ramp it up a little bit let's do something a little bit bigger in the third act this was good there was death there was stakes we had characters going a little bit outside what we had been shown, but it wasn't so batshit crazy off the rails, nope style, where it just completely sent us out of the movie. Yeah, it wasn't like, let's go kill these guys and then let's go find their brothers and kill them and let's go find their friends and kill them. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. like it wasn't like, let's just keep upping the ante. It was like, no, let's we, we got the catharsis. Buildings. Right, yeah. exactly. Boys in the Hood was nominated for two Oscars, was nominated for Best Original Screenplay and Best Director. John Singleton, to this day, to this day, is the youngest director ever nominated for Best Director. That's what's up. Which is incredible. Incredible achievement. So great for him. The youngest director ever to be nominated for Best Director, not only in 1991, but still to this day. Um, so congratulations to him. He was 24. Wow. He was 24. Um, 
did not win for either one of those Oscars, but the fact that he was nominated at all was pretty awesome. Um, couple fun facts here. Um, in 1986, there's a movie called Pee-wee's Playhouse where Lawrence Fishburne was in that movie. And John Singleton was working security on the set of that movie. <laughs> security on Pee-wee's Playhouse. <laughs> and with Lawrence Fishburne being in the movie, he gave Fishburne the script and asked for his advice, asked for his opinions. One thing led to another. Fishburne stars in the Singleton production. Um, not only that, but there's obviously a lot of gunshots in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, Singleton really, in typical like Tom Cruise style, wanted everything to be natural. Oh dear! So <laughs> there were real gunshots. Now, obviously, when characters get shot, that's not real. But, like, there were real gunshots, and John Singleton never told the actors when those shots would be going off. So some of these reactions are are legitimate (laughs) to when guns are fired. Specifically, I feel like the one scene where this really made an impact was at at night where there's just a big crowd of people hanging out, just having a good time, like showing off cars. Right. And that's when like the real beef starts with the other gang and the other gang just starts firing in the air. I feel like that could have been some of the more natural reactions that they're referring to. Absolutely. Yeah. um, I think the issues that I have, like, and it's funny to me because all of these actors now to me, Legends, right? Legends in the game. Lawrence Fishburne, Ice Cube, Cuba Gooden Jr., uh, Morris Chestnut, Angela Bassett, uh, Nia Long, right? Like Regina King, all of these people, legends in the game. They, they've done incredible things. Regina King just, I think she got an Oscar nomination not too long ago. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like amazing, amazing talents. <laughs> So many of them are so poor. I don't even think it's that they're poorly utilized. I think this was so early in their careers that you could just tell how green they were, right? Like, there's moments where even Ice Cube is is a little green. Definitely, like, when we're first introduced to him. For sure. He's, he's a little green. Morris Chestnut is very green. Very green in this movie. Uh, Regina King is very green. You know what I'm saying? It just seems like these are characters who are, they know the script and they're trying to give their best, but you could just, you could just see like they, they didn't fully understand these characters and they just went with a lot of the uh, notions that they, they think these characters would have. And that was, that was painfully obvious in a couple of scenes. Um, Again, love these guys and they've done incredible work since, but it was just something that definitely stood out to me uh, on this watch. See, uh, I do disagree with you there. I think that everything pretty much lines up in this story for me. There's really only one performance that I didn't really love, and I couldn't even tell you the the character's name. It was um, Ricky's girlfriend, Ricky's yeah. wife, whomever Maybe that no. was. That that performance was was remarkably weak, specifically when. They bring him in the house, they throw him on the couch, and he's being presented as a dead body now. And she first sees him. That was like, I think I laughed out loud when that happened. Yeah. And we saw her reaction because it was so bad. Um, I, I Yeah, they're a little green. I couldn't agree with you more from that standpoint, but I don't think that took away from my experience whatsoever. Um, Phoenix, who won the movie? Which one individual won this movie more than anyone else. Ice Cube. There, there's there's no getting around it. Um, I would love, I would love to say Lawrence Fishburne. Lord knows he, he moved on to one of the most historic and legendary careers of all time. For sure. But I'm going with Ice Cube only because this was not a movie. This, this was not something that he was supposed to be good at. You know what I'm saying? Like, 
This is not something he was supposed to be good at. And and he nailed it. Like to the point where he's been in other movies since. Now, granted, most of them are comedies and you know what I'm saying? He ain't winning any Oscars anytime soon. But this film opened up a viable path for him to pursue something other than music at a very early time in his career. And then he got better. Like, you know what I'm saying? He actually got better as an actor. Um, and like I said, that that final scene, it kills, bro. It, it's so good. It literally makes this movie worth watching because of that final scene. So for me, it's Ice Cube, hands down. It's hard because John Singleton being the youngest director ever to be nominated is such such a remarkable achievement and i think the direction here is incredible i think this is a very very strong direction but i think the whole who won the movie question is just going to be when you think about this three months down the line when you think about this six months down the line what's the first thing that pops in your head what's the most memorable thing i think for me that's going to be ice cube i just think it is i mean for all the reasons you just stated, he brings so much drama and so much levity to this role without being asked to do too much. He takes such a simple character and such a simple ask and delivers above and beyond. And I really hadn't seen a performance like this from him. And I was really blown away by it. I really was. So for me, he's he's my winner here. Phoenix. Yep. Final thoughts here on Boys in the Hood. Boys in the Hood, I mean, it's a classic. It's a classic for a reason. It has two of the most complex layered characters that I can think of, you know what I'm saying, in this movie. I think the two Oscar nominations that John Singleton received is literally for that. Like you said, the direction is is excellent. And those characters are written so well. Like, yeah, I would have given him the screenplay nod too, even though I didn't care for much of the movie, but just those two characters are so brilliantly written. Um, it's, it's one of those movies that I think nostalgia plays a big hand in, in its appreciation. Um, and I can't say that it still holds up today, but I, I do enjoy it. Uh, I think it's a classic for its time. And and that that's where I'm at with it. What's your final rating? I'm gonna go uh I'm gonna go three and a half stars for Boys in the Hood. Um I, I would have gone lower, but again, just those those characters are so well written. Uh it gives it the bump the bump up. It's a it's a hard film to rewatch. Uh, but I do have the same, I do have respect for the film for what it is and what it meant at that time. So my respect for it hasn't diminished, uh, now having finally seen the full film, but, uh, it's three and a half for me. Solid film. For me, Boys in the Hood was a fantastic film, a fantastic experience. I really enjoyed the look into these characters' lives without a true main storyline going on really enjoyed that loved the build up in the first half even though you weren't like sensing oh something big is coming i can tell they're planting the seeds it was just kind of hey we're hanging out we're watching these characters and i think that was so well done fishburn ice cube major major standouts and cuba gooding jr was was good as well um this was really great this was really great and I loved it on the first watch. It's a four star for me. And really, I think when I think back about Boys in the Hood, I'll think about how this was John Singleton's first movie and how remarkable it was for his directorial debut. Probably his best movie, too, if we're being honest. That's that's certainly a fair assessment. Um, although, hold on. Yeah, okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, he doesn't he doesn't really have like a poetic justice, you know what I'm saying? He doesn't really have any other one that like rivals it. Four right. Brothers, Shaft, 
abduction. Like there's not abductions got terrible reviews. So no way, but I was just naming the big ones. Um, okay. Boys in the hood. We're done. Phoenix. Yes. Tell everyone about your neat little podcast. <laughs> so, uh, I am the co-host and editor of the Film Code podcast, uh, where film is subjective, but also, mm. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, we are in our third season. You guys can find us on um, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you guys can find your podcasts. We are everywhere, and uh, check us out. We are at Film Code Pod on Twitter and Instagram. And uh, give us a follow. Uh, we are in the finals of our Television Madness tournament right now happening on Twitter. Um, it is a neck-and-neck neck battle in some instances, but uh, in others it is a blowout. So <laughs> uh, feel free to help us uh, choose a winner in that if you would like. And uh, you guys can find me on Twitter at Reviews one That's the number one. And on Letterboxd under PA Clouded. Yeah. They do a great job over there at Film Code. So if you enjoy us over here, go ahead and check out Film Code. Hear more of Phoenix and the the guys over there's take. They do a great job. Um, for me, my name is Nathan Pig. You can find me on Letterbox at Nathan Pig. But I would prefer if you checked out our TikTok at End Credits Pod. Of course, however you're listening to this, if you would please give us a rating hopefully a positive one. We would really appreciate that and check out our other episodes. You know, we're back and better than ever. So we will be having weekly content, daily content over on TikTok, reviewing some of these classic movies. So please check us out, check out our other episodes. Um, shout out to our executive producer, Jack Feifner could not do this podcast without him. So thank you to Jack uh, from Jack from Phoenix from myself. This has been the End Credits Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time.